Well, hello and welcome to episode 71 of It's Never Sunny in Seattle. We are back in 2023. It's the Seattle Mariners podcast. New year, new flow. And we have a special guest today, Baseball America's Jeff Ponce, friends of the podcast. How are you doing, Jeff? I think we're doing good. I'm happy to be back on the pod with electricity and internet now, which is always a good thing. No more windstorms in Sammamish. And uh, we have a lot to talk about today. The Mariners have made some some moves, some big, some small, some minor league, some major league. Um, but Jeff is here today to talk about the fabled, the, inter- the industry-wide famous uh, Baseball America prospects list and where some of the Mariners' prospects might find themselves. I think uh, we should start there. Jeff, what are the, the big names for the Mariners and where do they rank? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll sort of start backwards on this one. Um, guy that I, I really, really pushed hard to get onto this list and was one of my favorite pitchers actually in the 2021 draft class. I didn't care about the age. I think if you watch Bryce Miller pitch, uh, at all, you sort of just generally understand what's good about it. Uh, it's a great operation, low release height, um, the fastball itself is a combination of power and movement. Um, it's a good sweep and slider. He throws the changeup, you know, relatively well. Uh, in addition to those two, doesn't really need to show it this much. I think as he moves up, it's obviously going to be a bigger question. A lot of relief risk uh, initially put on Miller, but I think based on the performance last year and just the quality of the fastball and the slider and the fact that he does have a couple of you know, like fringe to average uh, additional secondaries in the curveball and the changes that he can he can show. Um, he's one of my favorite arms in the top 100. On my personal list, he was like just outside the top 50. I, I absolutely love <laughs> Bryce Miller, um, and uh, I'm happy that he's uh, that he's been he's been pitching well and and continued to improve because I kind of was out in an island a little bit when I had him ranked within like the top 40 players in that 2021 draft class. Um, other guys that are on the list, Cole Young, um, just got a lot of good reports. Uh, one of these guys in this class, and there's a few of them uh, in this shortstop class, wasn't as tooled up as the 2021 class, but there were a lot of guys with sort of advanced hit tools, good baseball skills. Jet Williams is kind of another one that's there. Uh, Mikey Ramiro, kind of another guy that fits into that category. And then Cole Young. Um, I'm not 100% that he's going to necessarily stick at shortstop. He certainly got the arm for it. Um, you know, the actions, hands, all that sort of thing, reflexes, um, all really good. You know, if he ends up at second base, especially in this, you know, new age, and we'll see how the, the shift impacts it. But I think second base is probably going to tick up in terms of athleticism back to something that we saw years ago. Um, a guy like Young is, is certainly incredibly valuable, especially when, uh, you know, his hitting ability can run a little bit. I think there's projectable power there as well. Now, you know, is it 25 to 30 homer pop? No, but you know, if you have a guy who hits for a high average with 15, 16 home, home runs, uh, hits a lot of doubles, uh, you know, moves along in the bases, plays good defense, it's a really valuable player. Um, but you know, I think the other guy, um, you know, that obviously is there is Harry Ford. He's at 64, so 199 are where Miller and Young they just slip onto the back end of the list. Highest ranked Mariners prospect is uh, Harry Ford. Um, you know, great combination of athleticism, baseball skills as well. Um, plate skills are strong. He doesn't ever really chase. Uh, there's good bat to ball skills there. He, you know, it's he's not a big guy, but it's explosive bat speed. And I think he's one of those guys that, you know, due to bat speed and leverage and just barrel control, 
he'll probably hit for a lot more power than you would expect based on the body. Um, you know, you look at sort of the strength and the athleticism that's there. This is a guy kind of like Dalton Barsho where you could even see him as an outfielder long-term or moving to third base or, or something like that. And having a, you know, being a really valuable player. Um, I don't think any of these guys are obviously like cornerstone type of players. You had one of those that came up last year in Julio Rodriguez. Um, but I think they're all really nice supporting pieces. And, you know, considering the Mariners have graduated as many prospects as they had and traded prospects, pretty good ones, um, for players that, uh, you know, impact the, the major league team, I, I would say, you know, they've, they've done pretty well and DePoto con- continues to, you know, balance, I think, um, pretty good draft classes uh, to go along with, you know, a very competitive, young, exciting major league team. Yeah, I think I I saw some data last year where, you know, I, I kind of flagged Bryce Miller as someone to that was really interesting and, and to watch. And I think back then it was still like, a, I, I think he was addressing, you know, the, the command control issues. Um, but he's someone that, you know, we really love as a as a collective. Um, I've seen data and and I, I think you have access to true media um, that he throw like a like a 20, you know, IVB out of a five and a half vertical release. Like uh, those numbers are pretty nutty. Like the numbers that I've seen are really, really nutty on his fastball. And obviously command matters. But I mean, based on the 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 data I've seen, like it, it, it looks like it could be one of the better fastballs in of starting pitchers in MLB if he if he does start. Yeah, um, and I have uh, the best. So I did the best pitches in the top 100 article last year. Um, we're breaking it down into like uh, I jokingly call it a limited series, like for HBO, um, where I'm going to just separate it and do a best fastballs article, best curveballs, best sliders, best changeups, and then best best pitch arsenals. That's going to come out each day throughout next week. We're starting off on Monday um, with the uh, with the best fastballs article, and Bryce Miller is number two in the minor leagues behind Gavin Williams. Um, I think there's an argument stuff wise; he has the highest stuff plus rating on his four seam fastball in the top 100. The performance numbers were just a little bit better with Gavin Williams. Um, just looking at like you know isolating like Wobicon things like X Wobicon etc. Where I can not look at like the whiff stuff, which like all these guys obviously miss a lot of bats <laughs> with their four seamers if they're considered the best uh, fastball in the top 100. Just a little bit better than Miller. But yeah, um, I don't have access to true media, unfortunately. That would be tremendous. But I do have, you know, some source contacts that allow me to uh, see some data, ask about certain players and, and get bigger data sets that, that I can study, which is obviously um, helpful. But uh, Miller, I mean, I don't know if he actually averages 20 IVB on the fastball. That's what the number says. I tend to think that anytime I see 20 IVB, I'm like, it's probably a little high, but um, the minor league systems are significantly better than like what you see in college, which is just like juiced up beyond belief. I mean, I've seen 25 IVB fastballs that were strikes and that's not possible on the Cape. Like that, that, that doesn't happen, but mound heights and things like that can kind of vary from park to park. You don't have sort of that standardization that you have in MLB. Um, so some of those numbers can be a little juiced. He's definitely over 19, which is elite. So that's really all that matters. When you sit 94 to 97 miles per hour, legitimately touched 100, and can ride it up like that with command. I mean, he he throws the pitch, you know, nearly 70% of the time in uh, for a strike. Um, you know, so, and his chase numbers aren't like crazy, crazy. So a lot of it really is legitimately like 
end zone whiff, he's pretty high. He is somebody that absolutely can just kind of jam it down the middle and get whiffs, frankly. I feel yeah, like I feel the, the, the hype for Bryce, Bryce Miller is getting a little bit out of control, not only on, on this podcast, but just in the Mariners' sphere in general, where, where I think people are kind of setting an expectation for him potentially to become like a frontline starter. Um, and this kind of dovetails into a question that was asked um, by one of our listeners, which was by Miamik saying, what is a realistic career outlook for Bryce Miller? I thought, you know, just kind of to add context to that, I thought it was interesting that you said that none of these three players for the Mariners are in your mind, like, cornerstone franchise level players but so i guess that means that you don't necessarily think that bryce miller has a realistic ceiling of being a frontline starter do you think that that's correct yeah i would say you know role wise you'd be pretty happy with like a number three here um that maybe like you know he's not like a huge innings eater he's not somebody that's going to go like 190 to 200 but like a five inning starter, you know, maybe racks up like 140 to 160, you know, throughout the year and, you know, generates a lot of strikeouts, you know, and, and sort of gives you, he's never like within that like elite pitcher tier, but is always um, a pretty consistent mid rotation type guy. That's sort of how I see him. Um, and there's, you know, there's plenty of, uh, uh, starters that are viable out there that you know get paid a whole heck of a lot of money um to sort of fill that role but i don't see him sort of transforming into like um you know verlander or <laughs> sandy alcantaro or you know even like a kevin gaussman or you know someone along those lines but you know i i i think like sort of what like kyle wright is i think probably wouldn't be a, a bad outcome they're very different in how they sort of get there but i'm just saying like stat line joe musgrove like that would be like the high end of what i would see for for miller where it's probably more really realistic that he's a little bit below that but i think he's answered a lot of questions around starting and i think the fact that his pitch types are what they are um being like a top of the scale fastball like i personally like with some of the 80s that we put on it i think miller's fastball was better than dl hall's fastball which got an 80 um i would have put a higher grade on it um, the other thing is he's got a sweepy slider that he commands and that's a slider that you can throw in zone. I mean, that's not like a gyro slider where you're trying to get like heavy chase pitches. Um, it's always going to be a little bit more like split heavy platoon heavy. Um, but he does have feel for that change up. And I think as he throws it more, we'll see, you know, it's, it's a pretty effective pitch. Um, and then he'll, he'll throw the curveball early in counts and give you sort of a different look. Um, it's, I mean, it's a good overall, uh, arsenal and frankly like when you look at the quality of like his movement on the mound how consistently he repeats his mechanics and then just some of those elements to his release like he's someone to be excited about like i you know i think that he's over you know excuse me underrated sort of within the national sphere versus some other guys like he's he's essentially what like the rangers and a lot of people thought like jack Leiter was going to be he's kind of a better version of that frankly it's interesting that you make that comp because actually uh, Joe Doyle made that comp on Twitter like a week ago. He said that uh, he thinks that Miller is better than Lighter and Rocker in particular. 
um, that there'd be a lot of demand for him. I was actually really surprised that so much of the conversation around Brian Reynolds this offseason did not center around Bryce Miller as the trade piece. I think the the general consensus is that like you, you know, you even said with the Baseball America top 100 rankings, he is ranked 100th. And so like just anecdotally and in terms of the industry, like that just isn't as valuable as if he was artificially higher, but he may be in a position to skyrocket depending on how this year goes. I am really interested to see where the Mariners start him because they have been so hesitant to put their ace level pitching prospects in AAA at all. I think George Kirby has exactly one AAA start and I believe Logan has four innings. So in terms of like their more recent guys getting any exposure at that level, I think it's going to tell us a lot about how they see his readiness if they pitch him in AAA. Um, And then the flip side of that is the Mariners have another prospect, uh, first overall first round pick that hasn't debuted and that we're not talking about at all yet, which is Emerson Hancock, who didn't find himself on the on the list. Um, Jeff, we had a, a listener question for you, which was, what is Emerson Hancock's new ceiling and floor? Does he still profile as a major league pitcher or is the, is him not being on the Baseball America prospects list really just a recognition of how rough it's been for him so far? Or is there a thought that maybe he's just not a major leaguer anymore? I think he's probably still a major leaguer. Um, you know, I think you look at like his, he didn't have a, like an awful season. Um, he just doesn't miss like a ton of bats. He gets weak contact. Um, you know, he's a right-hander where his predominant secondary is a changeup. Um, you know, it's a solid fastball. It's okay. Probably a little bit above average, mostly because of velocity. It's not super hoppy. Um, it's not quite a dead zone fastball, but it's kind of teetering on that line, if you know what I mean, in terms of, you know, its combination of, and I know Mikey does, you know, uh, the vertical break and horizontal break. It's not a great shape. Um, it's a little bit lower release because he's not like a huge, huge guy. Um, so it does have some elements that aren't bad, and I think that's probably why it gets that 55 grade consistently from scouts that we talk to. Um, and I think just even looking at the data kind of backs that up. But he doesn't have that elite fastball or that elite pitch that um, Bryce Miller has. And Bryce Miller also has like a slightly worse changeup, fine, with like a much better breaking ball. And I think that's always a concern for me is like how many pitchers are there in the major leagues that are starters that have that are right handers that are changeup first that are successful that don't have like an 80 changeup. I mean, like it, there's relievers like this. Um, but there's not a lot of like frontline starters sort of in that mold. Now you told me Emerson Hancock is a guy that, you know, throws 170 innings a year as a number five starter. And like, you know, your fan base bitches about him when he pitches like 60% of the time and he always gets hot for a month and a half. Like there's everybody has one of those guys. He's exactly that. Like, I just don't view him as somebody who's going to be super impactful outside of being like a reliable back of the rotation sort of option. He has velocity in that changeup. Maybe against left-handed heavy lineups, he might be like a good option out of the bullpen. But I don't think they're going to be looking to move that guy and the amount of money and the you know the pick uh, value that they they spent on him. You know, I don't think that draft capital is going to push him to the bullpen this soon, uh, unless he was throwing a hundred with like a hammer and he doesn't. So, it, I I don't know what to make of Emerson Hancock because like. Personally, just like watching their pitchers last year, because something I do when I'm not at the ballpark, I try to tune into as many games as possible. I'm in the East Coast. I get to see a lot of West Coast games when I get back from the ballpark. 
I think Taylor Tollard is a much better pitcher. I don't think his stuff probably is better. Um, but just in terms of like the execution and his ability to sequence, uh, I, and the slider too. Like I, I much prefer Tollard, honestly. Um, but it's not my list. And we obviously uh, don't just base our lists on our opinion. We go out to, you know, scouts and front office folks. We talk internally and externally on the organization with guys that have coverage and, and get a, a more robust sort of opinion and data set to base our rankings off of. But um, I think Dollar is more interesting, frankly. Like it's not as, as loud, but he can pitch, he can execute. You know, I don't, I don't see him necessarily as like a, this guy's going to be a reliever. Like, like, ah, that guy could be a number five starter and need a bunch of innings and maybe like, you know, have some, some seasons where you're like, how, do, how does he have a, a three, seven, five ERA when, you know, his stuff isn't as loud as like, you know, Matt Brash or whatever. It's like, just pitching's weird. Baseball's funny, man. Yeah, the Mariners are saying uh, Colin McHugh for Taylor Dollard. That's like their internal comparison. Um, my my like headcanon comparison for Emerson Hancock has been Homer Bailey because Homer Bailey was also a very similar pick. He was the number seven overall, and Hancock was number six overall. Do you think we're kind of along those lines there with with Emerson Hancock? Are we are we on the right track there? Yeah, I think just in terms of like expectations versus reality it's certainly not bad um you know if he gets to the major leagues and has as long of a career as homer bailey i don't think that's an that's not a that's not like a giant l i think when it's all said and done i mean i don't think they're similar pitchers per se because i think i think they both have pretty high arm slots but i think like the output might be somewhere in between like Chris Flexen and like Miles Michaelis or something like that, like a pretty low. Um, and I think the thing that I'm wondering, because I think what's going to be the deciding factor is like, you know, a, if a secondary pitch does take a step forward, but I think it's going to come down to um, contact, you know, deadening and suppression more than yeah. missing bats. Cause I, I think we all know, I think that he's not going to really miss that many bats. Yeah, and it's funny. I'll throw another name out there that personally, I probably like if I had to rank them just by watching them, not looking at numbers, anything. I would probably have Brian Wu like second in this system um, in terms of pitchers behind Miller, like just in terms of what I like. um, It's a great I mean, it's like butter smooth operation, really easy repeatability. It's a lower release height. It's not like super outlier or anything like Miller's is, but it is fairly low. He gets a nice shape on the fastball, kind of heavy bore. So he's getting ride, he's getting run. Um, and he commands it. I mean, I think the secondaries probably need to take a step forward, but it's a really good fastball and I really like to watch him throw it. So um, yeah, I, I got to see Wu twice in AFL and um, he pitched pretty well for me both times uh, as well as Adam Mako, who then got traded, but I hated Adam Mako guys throwing his, his 69 mile per hour curveball, man. I see that and I feel like I'm watching a Cape game. (laughs) You may have already answered this, but we had a question from B who wanted to know, do you think that there is a sleeper pitcher in the Mariner system? And you mentioned Dollard, obviously, and you mentioned Brian Wu, but is there anyone else who might be a little more under the radar that you're interested in? Mm, You put me on the spot here, man. I gotta, I gotta think about this one a little bit. I mean, like is Prelander Baroa really like a, like a sleeper? Uh, I mean, I could name him, but he's in the top ten, and there's people who. Durs is like, smiling. Sleeper, the starter. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's. A, I don't know if he's a starter. I have no idea. Um, it's a nasty fastball slider combination, though. Um, come back to me on that, though, because I feel like there's somebody that they drafted like recently that I love that I just can't pull out of like thin air right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's talk a little. We talked about Bryce Miller. We talked about Dollard. We talked about the pitching a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Harry Ford, who is actually the Mariners' highest rated prospect and the first overall draft pick. Um, he's had really kind of an interesting track so far because he got injured in his first season, but he did manage to put up some pretty interesting numbers, played really well last year, has kind of skyrocketed up. I actually feel like 64 is, I don't want to say inflated, but it is higher than I expected him to rank so far just because he kind of hasn't played at a high enough level or with enough pop just yet for him to like really be on this list but he is which seems to be kind of indicative that both his pedigree from where he was drafted and just the general consensus about him as an athlete seems to be that he's a really good major league player um you know we talked to joe doyle about him a little bit when he was drafted and there was a sense that like you know they might move him to third base or second base or the mariners seem pretty committed to him as a catcher i'm wondering what you think how that affects his timeline, because obviously they'd be accelerating him a little bit more if he wasn't working on the defense. But what do you think his timeline is getting to the major leagues? And how do you think that impacts maybe the way the Mariners look at their Cal Raleigh and how they maybe negotiate with him going forward? Yeah, I'd say he's probably like two years away from from like the majors consistently. Like I wouldn't expect him to have a full time role until like 2025. Um, the thing about Ford is. I think when you look at what the ceiling is, right? This could be a guy who is an above average hitter with elite on base abilities, you know, probably plus bats of ball skills are pretty close to it. Um, average power, maybe a little bit better because he's going to grow into more strength. Um, I think when you look at his frame, um, how hard the dude works in terms of like off the field, um, he's pretty yoked up. Like, I think I, I don't think he's close to max because like you hit a certain point and he has that body type. Like when he's 26, 27 years old, he's just going to be like a little bit stronger and thicker. Like your muscle matures. You just like, it's true. Like, you know, your, your muscle doesn't really sort of like uh peak until you're like in your late thirties even. So like, it's going to be, he's going to be lean. He's going to not lose much like pliability he's going to be a guy that moves pretty well which i think probably projects well for his swing um you look at the numbers overall i mean i know it was low a and you can talk about cal league parks etc guy just gets on base he rarely gives away in at bat. he runs really well there is explosiveness in the swing will he get into more power sure i think so um was some of it cal league aided probably but if I remember, you know, some of the parks that he was playing in, I think particularly Modesto doesn't play great for homers. Um, so that probably didn't boost it as much as like, you know, if he was playing in like some of the other parks in that that league that absolutely like <laughs> help you out. Like Fresno, uh, uh, excuse, yeah, Fresno used to help a ton. And then like, um, yeah, no, it's Fresno. I'm trying to think of where the Rockies were playing their games because that's what I was watching consistently. Like it's definitely like a more power friendly park. You know, I think the thing with him and like timeline with Raleigh, like by the time he's ready, you know, Raleigh hopefully will have established himself as like an everyday catcher with like offensive upside. And maybe he's a valuable trade piece at that point. I don't know, you know, um, or there's some sort of a platoon situation. The thing that's really attracted me about Ford is he could probably play 
a few different positions and you, you could have, you know, sort of this versatile guy that can play some third base. He can play some outfield. I mean, he's athletic enough to play center field. I don't think there was any question about that. And I think even before he was drafted, that was a conversation because, you know, at the time Joe and I were, you know, working together on those draft rankings before I went to BA, um, you know, we pretty much consistently agreed like this guy could maybe just be a center fielder. Like a team could take him and he may not even necessarily have to stick a catcher. But when you have a guy that's that athletic behind the plate, moves that well behind the plate, and can do certain things that other guys can't um, with a strong enough arm that, you know, I think it probably works. You know, we'll see how it works with, um, I don't think we're going to get full robo lumps, but you know, whatever that, that future looks like where, you know, maybe some framing stuff is less important than it used to be. I don't know if I fully buy into that, but we'll see. Um, he throws well enough and he hits well enough that I think you're going to want to keep that bat in the lineup. So he's an exciting player. And I think one of the reasons he's boosted as high as he is, is there's that projection there, but there's also baseball skill. And I know for myself and certainly a lot of the executives, et cetera, that we talk to, when a guy has a premium defensive position and as he goes down the defensive scale, I don't know if it's such a detriment to, to Ford's profile. If he did end up at third base, if he didn't end up in, in center or right field, um, he still holds a lot of value. Right. And you look at the plate skills, the contact, um, some of the exit velocity data, which is pretty good, especially the top end stuff for his age group and bucket. You're like, Hey, this guy really has sort of like a starter kit to potentially take a big step up and, develop into more of an impact prospect i think he's the only guy in this system that has that sort of upside that you can probably squint a little bit and be like i could see harry ford being like a 280 hitter with you know a 12 percent plus walk rate and 25 homers that plays a few different positions like i mean that guy that guy's worth a lot of money yeah i mean you saw what you saw what teams were willing to give up for, for Dalton Varsho. And this is kind of like what you're outlining is almost like a better version of Var- of Varsho because Varsho doesn't even, you know, hit that well in terms of contact skills. Yeah. I think he's a better offensive player at this point um, based on what, you know, Varsho was. I wouldn't call him a, a, a generational athlete, but I heard, have heard that some of his athletic testing uh, for Ford has been, uh, someone used the word generational um it does feel strange to to take an athlete like that and i wouldn't say you're wasting him behind the plate because it takes a lot of athleticism um but especially with you know potential robo umps it it feels strange to not have him at you know especially center field if you can give him a go and obviously you have julio rodriguez but i think if you can move julio rodriguez to right field and then ford slots into like center or something like that um you know that's that's pretty ideal so i guess it's kind of a philosophical question but like um like do you feel like he his his athletic skill set is is of better use especially given his other skills elsewhere yeah i think that it was loden sports who does all the athletic testing for a bunch of college teams pro teams they used to do the pdp um, for USA baseball that did those tests. And the guy that does those tests uh, is a good friend of mine. So he chatted me a little bit and it's what we would call a Luden 90. So like it's off the scale sort of athleticism guys that are like this Spencer Jones fall from the Yankees, the big tall guy that got drafted this year that hits the ball like a, 
you know, 115 miles per hour <laughs> consistently and is like a 60 runner at six foot seven. Um, that's what Ford is. I mean, it's just the opposite body type because he's a shorter guy, but he's so ex- And what baseball athletic testing amounts to isn't like how high do you jump? You know, how fast do you run the 40? It's like that, that sort of basic stuff that you would look at that has some application in football, has some application in basketball. It's about explosiveness. Baseball, whether you're throwing hard, hitting a ball, whatever it is, it's about the ability to be explosive. And he is a short guy who has the ability to be explosive. I think he like, like deadlifts some absurd amount of weight. I forget what the number was, but it was like a gym record in like his high school or whatever. And he was, I think he was a like, he might have been a, a state ranked like power lifter. I know that like his squat numbers are insane. Like it's like twice his body weight. Um, this is a guy that's a 60 runner and has a 60 arm and has offensive upside. Like, hell yeah, I would definitely move that guy off a catcher because I don't want his hands to get beat up. I want that impact in the outfield. And it's not like outside of Julio Rodriguez, it's not like the organization is like super deep with impact outfielders. Um, rest in peace, Jared Kelnick, you know. I feel like we should ask you about Jared Kelnick. Uh yeah. <laughs> you know, Bro, I ranked him. I ranked him above Wander Franco in the pandemic. I want to blame it on the pandemic. Like <laughs> he looks so good. I, you know, I, I don't think it's even a skills thing. I legitimately don't think it's a skills thing. I think it's a, I think it's just a, I think it's a him thing. I think that whatever it is that's going on, um, it thinks snowball on him. And I've, I've pretty much heard that that as things start to go bad, they really go bad for him. And that's unfortunate because I think you look at the player, you look at what he did in the minor leagues at a very young age, consistently hit. Like when he was feeling it, man, like nobody could get him out. And he's had very few periods of success like that. Because I don't think it's like, it's not bat speed. Like, I don't know. I just don't, it, it feels like he's always caught in between and just hasn't, gotten his footing yet you know i almost wonder if a change of scenery you know he ends up in like cincinnati in a year you know goes pull heavy in one of those parks starts to feel it and we we finally see like the real jared kelnick but yeah i mean i almost feel like the body backed up too like he got like more bulky and like stiffer and he's not tyler o'neill you know like he doesn't have tyler o'neill's athleticism um so he couldn't sort of carry that weight and still be an effective player. And it's probably a negative at times for Tyler O'Neill, frankly. Um, but I don't get it, man. I don't, I wish I had an answer. Cause if I had an answer for what was wrong with, with Jared Kelnick, I'd, I'd probably be getting, you know, $500,000 a year to work for the Mariners <laughs> and follow a rad Kelnick and figure it out. Because if he, if, if he had a great, like if he unlocked it and became the guy we thought he was coming into 2021 next year, the Mariners are going to win. They're going to they're going to be better than the Astros. They're going to win the the AL West because he'd be a superstar. But I just don't think it's happening. You know, at this point, you take like a fifty. You take an, an average everyday rate. You take Cole Calhoun. You'd be like, hey, thank you. I'll take Cole <laughs> Calhoun. Like that's fine. Just please be a productive player. I don't know what it is, but I, I've I've mostly heard that it's a that he's just really intense and that things really snowball on him. And that he hasn't handled failure well. 
do you think then that like even a, a 50 outcome is possible for him because if if the problem for him is like a, a mental skills thing then like it would either be going really well or it wouldn't be right like would there be a world where like it's going okay and like i i, I just struggle to see that outcome in my head you know I People mature at different periods in life, right? And I know this is stupid to say, but I think it's an element that's underrated, particularly with prospects, right? Because they're all human beings and getting to the major leagues is really hard. And then being successful when you struggle in the major leagues is really hard. Um, you know, he could come back this off season and start whatever it is. Like just has a, a different perspective. A family member gets sick, you know, he falls in love, something like that. Like things like that can put things into perspective and allow you to be looser. Um, so I don't want to say that it could never happen. Um, cause people do, you know, I guess, you know, the expression is people don't change, but at the same time, you know, we do evolve and, you know, I, I don't, th- I think he's so young that to write off that if it's an emotional sort of thing with him that he can't get to where he needs to get to, I think is probably silly. Maybe it doesn't happen in Seattle, right? Like there's a lot of guys that, you know, they get moved out to other places and, and it sort of clicks, you know, you just got to hope that it's, you know, he stays healthy and can sort of figure out whatever it is that's plaguing him. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a, it's not an easy ballpark to hit in, to hit in either when you're struggling, you know, you don't get, it's not like Colorado or like I said, Cincinnati, where, you know, you get a lot of love with the balls in play, like things drop, things sneak down the line that, you know, doesn't necessarily happen. He's an interesting candidate too to see some uptick in performance because of a new shift rule changes. Um, I don't know off the top of my head how much that's going to impact him, but it seems like some. The only thing I would disagree with you on is it's not you said it's not a skill issue with Jared. I think that is mostly true. I think that the power is still real. If you look at his projections, he's still projected to hit more than 20 home runs in full full-time plate appearances. Like he still very much has all of the tools that was projected of him. But his pitch recognition and just general plate approach sucks in his sub-major league. And, you know, especially when he got called up mid-season last year, I think we saw what it looks like when he is playing well and is still being unsuccessful. And it's him striking out a lot and grounding a lot of balls into the shift. And I don't know what a version of that that is successful looks like. We've had this conversation actually a lot with Lookout Landing because... Um, there's kind of a dichotomy of those of us who are sort of over him and those of us who still really believe that there's something there. And we're having a hard time figuring out where the average is going to come from, because even if he hits for all the power and the defense is good and he steals bases and he does all of the other stuff that really does make him very interesting. You know, if he could even hit like 230, all the other stuff makes him a pretty valuable player when you add it in. But we're having a hard time getting over that 200 batting average hump and he's got to, he's got to hit some balls that land in play. You know what I mean? Like it was really rough, especially last year when he was the fourth outfielder coming out of camp, got pushed into playing time when Mitch got injured in literally the fifth game and proceeded to go two for 37, something like that and get sent down. So like I've, I said this on the last pod, I think what Jared really needs is a little success. I think a little success would go such a long way for him. If he could have two solid weeks, like he could snowball that into a good couple of months, but it's got to happen for him, right? He's got to he's got to hit some balls in play. Yeah, and I think some of that is just approach based too. You know, um, when you really start to break it down, and there's you know, we'll say two to three percent of pitches that you're chasing on that you can cut out by just saying, "Hey, don't swing at this particular pitch," like off the plate, and that can have an uptick in his contact rates. 
at this point, you're just looking for this guy to get above 70% in terms of overall contact. You're looking him to get below 30% in terms of chase. Once he's in that area, I think there's a, and it's just, it's small differences. There's upticks in terms of, you know, the quality of contact that's going to come from that. Um, you know, where I think there's other guys that, you know, are overly passive. And once they get up to the major leagues, like Spencer Torkelson, the outside or outer half of the plate, that stuff becomes like much more of an issue. You know, um, it's much, much tougher to learn to swing on a particular pitch than not to swing at it. As funny as that sounds. And, you know, with some of these VR training systems, et cetera, there's been a lot of work off the field in terms of trying to, um, you know, help the, the pitch ID side of the game. Um, so that's an area, especially when you start to see you get your 10,000 hours and you get your 1,000 plate appearances, guys start to see some gains in that area. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a 300 hitter um, like maybe we thought, but yeah, I think there's a possibility he could hit 240 this year, you know, above that 230 line and be a productive player. I think it's just some of those small sort of improvements that just need to be made. And, you know, I think it's easy to forget this guy turned 23 in season last year. There's prospects on our list that are like two years older. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about methodology real quick. One of the things that I really admire about Baseball America is how aggressive you guys are or how like unafraid to be aggressive you guys are, I guess is a better way of putting it. You know, Jackson Churio really came on uh, strong last season. You guys were rocketing him up the list and you see that with several players, you know, Gavin Williams was another example from the pitching side last year. Um, so, and you were telling us off pod, you know, that things evolve very quickly for prospects and that things can change. You know, a guy who's lower down the list may end up being a superstar and a guy high up on the list may end up being terrible. So I guess my question for you is, how do you want people to to look at your list? Like, what do you want people to take away for when they look at the top 100 list? What is what is something that you want? How do you want people to view it, I suppose? Yeah, and I, I think um, the thing that separates us versus places I had worked previously and a lot of stuff that's out in the public space is this isn't our direct opinions. Like, there are rankings that I have within the Cardinals rankings that I personally disagree with. I would have Cooper Jerpy four. I would have Gordon Graceffo five. But after talking to five different scouts that have Cardinals coverage, you know, for professional teams, talking to the Cardinals internally, polling folks around the game, analysts, et cetera, looking at the data, um, you know, we sort of come to an understanding of what the ranking is. And I bounce it off of a bunch of different people and get feedback and then sort of structure it around that and find something that like maybe people have like a gripe or two with, but generally feel is within the right area. So obviously the difference between us and other sites, and this isn't a knock on like a fan graphs, for example, where like Eric Loganhagen is a very good public evaluator and does great work. The BP prospect team are like talented public evaluators. They have guys get hired from teams every single year for that reason. And they, you know, but it's much more opinion based than like what we're doing where it's really like straight ahead reporting. And that was something that I personally had to adapt to because my previous six, seven years of experience had always just been ranking like what I thought mattered, right? And I own the site that I was at previously. So I was able to, you know, more or less override other people's opinions quite often. So like more often than not, what was in those rankings was a reflection of what I thought where now it's much more of like, this is what the industry thinks. And that's what we're trying to put out. And that's what we're trying to convey. And sometimes like 
things that b- people in the game think and know is very different than what's available in the public sphere and the perception of the of the of the greater consciousness. So like I think people like don't necessarily comprehend that. They think it's just like, oh, this is your opinion. This is baseball America's opinion, where it's like, this is our reporting, you know. Um, which is why there's sometimes guys in the top one hundred that are maybe a surprise or they're a little bit higher. Um, because our feedback is so aggressive. And you know, one of the things I think is really kind of fun and also funny from an outside perspective about like our emails before we put together the top 100, we put together the list. It's, you know, kind of our own personal lists plus the rankings that we do throughout the year. And there's a measurement system within those um, based on the BA grade and the risk, et cetera. And then we send it out to every single GM in the game. And Jerry DePoto gave us four pages. (laughs) Um. So like we get a really good feel from top decision makers how the best prospects in the game are viewed and the guys that you know we get like Jackson Holiday for example among all the GM feedback we got 8 or 9 move ups on Jackson Holiday and we got some really lofty praise on him that's a guy we're going to shove up the list it's the same thing in like Jackson Churio um, we also know that we did a good job when like nobody gripes about Gunner and Corbin at the top. No one says a thing about it. All right. I guess we're fine. Um, and it was interesting to even read like a lot of opinions where the consensus among the three top pitching prospects with Painter, Yuri and Grayson was Painter one. And it was, you know, those three guys very close, but, um, at this point, Painter seems to be the preference of, you know, GMs and front office types. So, you know, it's a it's a different process, I think, than what's out there. But um, and it's not necessarily something that we maybe hammer home enough. But I do think it's a differentiator that, um, you know, a lot of times the guys who opinions matter are the ones that we're getting the opinions from. Um, so, you know, we want to be a reflection of what's going on inside the game, because that's what the value the value is. Um, to subscribe to Baseball American, why I have a job <laughs> is doing that reporting. And, you know, I, I luckily, I think I'm a pretty good evaluator. I understand numbers, et cetera, things like that. Um, but I had to learn to be a reporter when I came to Baseball America. And, you know, fortunately, I have some folks like Josh Norris and JJ Cooper and Kyle and Carlos um, that really, you know, make that transition pretty easy because they're great reporters themselves. Yeah. Um... I feel like just in this process, and this is kind of a two-pronged question, but that at least like you're able to really just notice trends and teams that think differently or things that or um teams that are just maybe not very smart. So A, um just you know, like is is that something that you notice um and that you have a pulse on and 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 B, um really wondering and I, I think we kind of know the answer but like what the and this is a listener question but like what the scouting industry's um consensus about the mariners system and and their ability to develop pro, uh, prospects um so really not only like their their player development but also just like uh you know what it might be like to trade with them or work with them or, or what teams think about them um because you know this team's gotten a lot better and just a couple of years and even, you know, the zips projections just came out and I was looking at their last year's opening day roster and I was like, God damn, like this team is so much better than 
it was then. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, they have a pretty good reputation within the game. Um, they won our organization of the year this year with Baseball America. And it was kind of a three-way battle between them, the Dodgers, and the Astros. So I think that says a lot, right? Um, that says a lot about how much they've progressed to catch up to those two teams to a degree in terms of player development. I think that's especially true on the pitching side where they've had a lot of W's, whether, you know, whatever happens with Emerson Hancock or not. They got Kirby and Gilbert to the major leagues, which are really valuable players. I don't know if you really want to count Munez as their development or not for the Padres, but they, you know, Brash, they found a right, a right role for him, but he's a guy they went and they acquired. And I think the transformation you saw with his stuff and the power really across like every, there's very few guys that come to the Mariners and don't add a few ticks of velocity. Right. Um, so I think knowing that they're able to sort of identify the low hanging fruit, work on that very quickly, see sort of the fruit of their labor um, very quickly, usually in season. And then sort of work on the more, you know, the more important, more difficult things in terms of sequencing, in terms of improving shape on pitches and things like that. Um, you know, I think the fact that they have driveline pretty close probably doesn't hurt either. Um, so they've kind of been on the precipice of a lot of things that are going on and have the ability to sort of utilize that sort of thing, um, which, you know, I think is an advantage, frankly. Um, I think on the hitting side, it's been kind of hit or miss. I mean, obviously Julio was a, was a great development, but you know, there's been some other guys that maybe haven't or have regressed a little bit, haven't necessarily improved. They don't have as much of an identity on that side. I think they definitely do have an identity on the pitching side where, you know, a lot of guys that throw hard and, you know, um, tend to, tend to actually have fairly good command. Um, it's kind of funny. They kind of have this mix of like power and command that, uh, I think has kind of defined them a little bit, but you know, when you look at where the organization is now, um, based on where it was like four or five years ago, I mean, it's improved by leaps and bounds. And I think you, you got to like their ability to identify players as well. Um, you know, the guys that are at the top of their system, even after having make, make, made some trades are predominantly guys that they've acquired over the last couple of drafts. Um, and they have some sleepers sort of later in this draft too. guys like Hogan Windish, uh, who I saw in the Cape right before the draft can hit a lot. Tatum Levins, I think is one of the more underrated college catchers in this class. He was actually uh, at D three LaSalle in Philadelphia and then transferred uh, to Pitt. I saw him in the Cape in 2021 and then saw him again, I think in 2022, good leadership type, kind of like high energy guy, but I think legitimately like a good defensive catcher that can hit a little bit. He's a lefty bat. Um, Windish was older, another guy that can hit, um, you know, Josh Hood kind of had a really uneven sort of college career because he was at UPenn um, his freshman year, he raked, pandemic happens, Ivy League misses two years, the transfer rules change, he's able to then go to NC State, he was actually a 20 round, 20th round draft pick of the Red Sox in that 21 draft, but didn't sign, um, there's power there, he can play a little shortstop, he's kind of an interesting prospect, um, they get the vanilla missile, <laughs> Walter Ford, uh, who's an interesting player as well. And then um, Mason McRae's favorite guy, Tyler Locklear, who just like rakes. I mean, dude hits the ball hard. There's contact ability there. You know, is he kind of lower? Probably first base only, like on the defensive spectrum. Fine. But, 
it's a pretty legitimate bat. So I think there's even guys looking at this this list sort of of their draft from from 2022 and then thinking about what they could potentially add in 2023. This list could even look a lot different, and we could sort of see that next round of reinforcements, especially if some of these pitchers make a step forward, as we've seen a lot of pitchers in the the Mariner system do over the last couple of years. So I think they, they ha- they've had some sneaky drafts. Like I, I think that's something that is sort of severely underrated. It's the reason the Dodgers are so consistently good every year is every single year, regardless of where they're drafting, they identify good players that their player development people sort of know how to develop. Like you have to find what that type is. Like the, the Orioles, for example, have figured out that we don't really care about contact as much as we care about guys that don't swing at bad pitches and hit the ball hard. You know, if you have a, 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 a high, you know, um, ex Wobicon and a really low chase rate, and you can play a premium defensive position, the Orioles probably like you. <laughs> you could you could probably make a bet that that's probably the case. And it's worked out. I mean, they have a bunch of these guys now that are on top 100 lists that fall right with them into that category, whether it's, you know, Gunnar Henderson. Um, Jackson Holiday makes a fair amount of contact, but he doesn't, he never chases and he hits the ball hard. Um, Judd Fabian's like that. Um, Jordan Westberg's like that. I think to a degree, you could probably make that case about like Joey Ortiz. And, um, doing beavers like they had a whole draft class the 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 Orioles of guys like this so sometimes it's just a matter of identifying what it is that your player development people do well and that, that player type that they can develop and then getting them into your system and seeing what happens so I think you know kind of my long convoluted answer here is just like yeah it's they have a good reputation they won our award for a reason and you know, I'd be pretty satisfied if I was a Mariners fan especially versus my neighbors here in Boston who are all angry Red Sox fans at the moment. (laughs) Well, I would take that as incredible news. If you're looking for optimism about the Mariners organization of the year, all those comments, I'd say you came to the right spot for some sunshine today, fans. So um, we're going to let you go, Jeff. We're going to wrap it there. Uh, That was incredible. Always great to talk to you. Always incredibly insightful. Come back on anytime. We'd always love to have you. Um, I'm Evan. You can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Anders at Anders Jorstad. You can find Mikey at underscore Kuya Mikey. You can find Jeff, I believe, at Jeff Ponce BA. Is that right? That's right. Jeff Ponce BA. Uh, find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, wherever it is you stream. Thank you to uh, Zach Jabal for signing up for our Patreon. We love that. We love getting paid. Um, go Mariners. Please support the Patreon at patreon.com slash neversunny in Seattle. Um, check out the discord. We will leave the, uh, the invite link to that both in the description here and we'll post it elsewhere in the Twitter. Um, go Mariners. 